When we last left our heroes, Ryan remained cautiously optimistic about winning Game 6 and the series, while his trusty partner in crime, Greg Kaplan, stood vigilant about firing AV no matter the outcome. What has changed since that point? Find out today on the seasoning ending, still not sponsored edition of Blue Shirts Breakaway. Let's go! Breakaway fans, welcome to a season-ending episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway, the funeral edition, I would say, of Blue Shirts Breakaway. Greg, it feels like we have not talked in so long. It's only been a week since we did our last episode, but it feels like almost a month and a half at this point. Greg, say hello. Yeah, this it feels oddly a long period of time since the last time we did a podcast, even though it's been the standard one week, which is kind of nuts. I was thinking today when I woke up, I was like, wow, the Rangers have been out the playoffs so long. The Sens won game one against the Penguins, Mean World. And I, I just, I had so many feelings and reactions at that time that I actually had to go back and watch the highlights. And let me tell you, Greg, they're just, they're still not good. They're not great to watch. Not a good time. No, that was uh, a bad game. That was not an enjoyable game. It wasn't really an enjoyable series. Like games three and four, notwithstanding, it was kind of a miserable series. You know what the worst part is? They gave me hope. Throughout that whole game. Well, let's talk about what we're going to talk about in the podcast today. Today, we're going to talk about the Senators game, game six loss, obviously. We'll talk about a little offseason moves, uh, possibly. We're going to have a whole offseason, guys. Let me, let's go through this right now. We're going to not stop recording. We're going to post every Tuesday morning. You know, I made a post on Reddit saying we're, we're not stopping. We're going to do cover the whole offseason through the expansion draft, free agency, trades, theory crafting, the draft, everything. So we're going to still be here for you doing all the Ranger coverage, all that. Will there be more nonsense? You betcha. Last year, we upped the nonsense entirely, but we also had the Jimmy VC sweepstakes and some other stuff to cover for us. But we will be around here all summer. But for today's podcast, we're going to just do mostly Strictly Rangers. Then next week's podcast, go back to some nonsense. I think we're going to do a full Guardians of the Galaxy 2 debate. So if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and you want to join us for that debate, come next week. I have a full thesis about that movie that I don't want to spoil just yet. So Greg and I want to have a nice argument at that point in time. But today we'll talk about the Rangers, uh, the loss, what comes next. If Greg still hates AV, the answer is yes, spoiler. Uh, and then some quotes from the team and, uh, and and from there. So let's start with game six. You know, I, I don't want to go back and say let's relive it entirety. Uh, but for me, it just felt like the team was kept giving me hope. We scored and the Sens scored. We fought back into the game. And then Chris Kreider became a player that I hadn't seen in a couple months, that I was wondering where he that player had been. He looked so dominant for 20 periods, 20 periods, 20 minutes of that period. I just didn't understand why he couldn't turn this on at any point in time in the series. If Chris Kreider is that player for 20 minutes of Game 2 or Game 5, it's over. That's it. That's why Chris Kreider's so special. He could be so dominant. He could be a force of the net. He can crash the net. But you also see why Chris Kreider's a problem. Because he becomes completely invisible at points in time until that point when he needed to turn it on. So I don't know if what happened with him, but if he was that player, you know, he becomes an entirely different monster. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in my eyes. And I when I saw him score that first goal, I was like, we're definitely tying this up. And guess what, Greg? I was wrong. Well, isn't that kind of Chris Kreider in a nutshell, though? He's enigmatic. He's been this way this entire career. He'll go on 
you know, we, I mean, this year, case in point, the first month of the season, was there a better player on the Rangers than Chris Kreider? Absolutely not. He was the lifeblood. He seemed to be the fuel behind the Rangers' high-scoring fire. And when Chris Kreider is playing at his absolute best, the Rangers are a very hard team to beat. But, I mean, time and time again, we just, Chris Kreider, I mean, people like to say Rick Nash is streaky. I think Chris Kreider is the definition of streaky. And, look, it's one of those situations where his peaks are so high that you kind of have to live with the valleys because you can't overreact to him going into a slump that, you know, it happens with Chris Kreider because he's just, he's too valuable when he's good. And I, I don't know if there's a way for the Rangers at this point. Um, we're getting close. I mean, Chris Kreider's still young, so it's not exactly, you know, what we're seeing is the end-all, be-all of what he's going to be as an NHL player. But We're, we're almost there. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't really know if there's any way. I, I don't know if there's any way to force consistency out of him like you have with a Matt Zuccarello. Um, I think at this point in time, you kind of just you accept Chris Kreider for what he is, which is an extremely gifted and talented hockey player who is capable of scoring at will but will also just disappear for periods or weeks or months at a time. Entire periods, by the way. I just, I just when he, he came out of the box, they were double shifting him. They double shifted him, and then he was every other shift that entire period. He was a man possessed, and we still couldn't score. You know, that was, that was the worst part. Eric Carlson showed how special he was of a player during that, uh, during that entire onslaught. They didn't have, like, really any shots on us the entire third period. We came out flat for two periods. I really think, I truly think the game ended when Carlson scored. Like as soon as that goal had, like the Rangers had just pulled it from two to one, they were just peppering Anderson with Everything. high percentage shots after high percentage shots, and then that Carlson goal really did. I, I think I moved, like I moved from watching the game in my living room to watching the game in my room and preparing to just go to sleep because I that goal felt significant in more ways than one and it turned out to be significant it was the game winner it happened two minutes um, later after Mika Zavinajad got us back into the game we were down by one it, you felt the momentum shift and the Rangers really started dominating yeah and that was it uh, Carlson 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 dominated Carlson's a special player and yeah he's a special player we I think every step of the way you know keep praise on Carlson and for good reason uh the thing that's frustrating about the Senators series is because outside of Carlson this was a very pedestrian team the Senators, they, they, the thing that makes the Senators solid is they don't really have a weakness. But the thing that also has the potential to hold the Senators back is they, outside of Carlson, they don't have another player that can really lift them up. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, um, Wayne Gretzky, but, uh, Gene Gabriel Peugeot, but he's really good. <laughs> he was an incredible player. J, JG, JG Peugeot took, took, uh, advantage of certain situations the Rangers were providing him. I, I think he is, he's, I mean, he's clearly not that kind of player. He is not. Um, he's definitely but, you not. Know, but at the same time, he's solid. And the Senators are a team full of solid players. Like, you know, you'd want to go to war with guys like Hoffman and Broussard and Stone and Peugeot. Those are guys you would love to have on your team as depth players. You just, you wouldn't feel great about going on a Stanley Cup run with them. And there's a, there's a reason why the Senators haven't been favored 
in any series they've played. The Bruins were favored. The Rangers were favored. The Penguins are clearly favored. And I think whoever the Senators play in the Stanley Cup out of the Western Conference would be favored if they get that far. It's not a slight on the Senators. It's just it's a comment about how the team is constructed. And you know what? Maybe the Senators are properly constructed because unlike the Rangers, you know, the Senators' only roster weakness was of their own doing when they put Chris Neal in the lineup. But I don't even – Chris Neal Chris must played, have played less than – I have it right here. Chris Neal played what? a minute and 48 seconds. Exactly. So it, it, Boucher knew immediately that, all right, this is not how I'm going to win the game this week or uh, this, this day. This, this day, yeah. And he made the adjustment. Like, Boucher's a smart enough coach to make that adjustment. Clearly not exactly smart enough to keep him out of the lineup, but smart enough to know he's made a mistake and to correct that mistake mid-game. And, you know, up and down, the Senators are – like I, I mean, I keep going back to the word solid. It's just I didn't know where the weakness was on the Senators. I thought that their strengths weren't as strong as the Rangers' strengths, but it was clear from the get-go the either team's the biggest weakness in that series, and it proved to be, was the Rangers' defense. I mean, there was the Senators did not have a weakness within spitting distance I can of make a how bad argument. the Rangers defense could be. I, I think it wasn't even our defense; it was our special teams. When it comes down to it, you know, Steve Valaket said it best: the Rangers, the Rangers lost that game in Game Two and Game Five. Great analysis, Steve. But we lost when we played six on five. We had the series won twice. <laughs> it was over. Yeah, I want to call that. I want to call that. I want to call that special teams, though. I think in that situation. When you're when the opposing team pulls a goalie, and you have to remember the situations that created, you know, the Senators to pull the goalie, the Rangers giving up weak goals because they're out of d- defensive positions, or um, I mean, the Rangers were up five three in game two. You shouldn't have been in a situation where you were trying to protect the one goal lead with two two minutes left. But the deployment of the defensive pairings, the lack of depth defensively the Rangers had presented the team with chances in the Senators that they were able to take advantage of. I I would stop short of saying it's special teams because the, while the Rangers made dumb penalties throughout this series, they did quite well on the penalty kill. They did great on the penalty kill. I think the Senators had what? One power play goal the entire series? I don't have the stats in front of me, but that feels um, when it, when, when it comes When it comes to six on five, that's I would not consider that a special team situation. That's a situation where you need to have a strong defensive anchor around a strong goalie, which the Rangers do have. And consistently, the wrong pairings were on the ice in situations where the Rangers couldn't afford it. And that falls down first on AV and then second on the players that were on the ice. And I I think both of those things need to be corrected. I, however, have doubts that both will. I think we both have those doubts. Uh, for right now, especially because of the cap situation and everything going forward. I, I'm also not sold on Shattenkirk being the answer, but don't worry, we're going to have plenty of Shattenkirk-centric episodes coming forward, or at least one or two, I would say. So Yeah, uh, I think this this episode, I mean, we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty of no, what the Rangers need to do this offseason. Really I think the, that's... This is really the you know the eulogy for the, this season of the New York Rangers and what, what could have been, um, and, and really just saying goodbye to the 2017 season and realizing that we lost to a team that was inferior that actually beat us. So they played, they played, they were just a better team at this time. That's what playoff hockey is. You, you don't always have to be the better team to win. 
You just have to be the better team I, at that I don't time. even know if – I don't I – I, again, I'm not trying to take away from the Senators. I, I honestly don't even know if they were – they were the team that made less mistakes. I don't know if they were the better team. I still – like, when you think about it, the Rangers won this series in five games. Oh, yes. The series was over yep. in five games. The, the Rangers swept games two through five. And you know what? Game one was a 50-50 game that could go either way. Um, I, if that game was played 100 times, the Rangers win 50, the Senators win 50. That is the definition of a 50-50 game. I don't know why. I just explained that for people. That was great math, uh, Greg. Great so math. Like, so, but, like, game game one, you know, you can kind of just say that either team had an equal opportunity to win that game. But games two through five, the Rangers controlled, dominated, and should have come out victorious in each game. And the fact that they lost two of those games, it is nearly impossible, I think, to ask one hockey team to beat another six times in a seven-game series, especially when you're not – like, you every day you wake up and you know you're playing that team. I, I think asking a team to win six times is an impossible task in a seven-game series. And because of the mistakes the Rangers made, both we had coaching philosophy-wise and defensively, that's, that was what they were being asked to do. Um, I don't think necessarily the Rangers should have won game six. I don't think they, I, I mean, they trailed the entire time. They seem to be playing on their heels from the jump. So I think well, they came out the Senators, super flat. Like the flattest, like game seven. Yeah, the, I, I don't want to mention this, but game seven at home versus the Lightning, a, a similar level of flat. It was, it was very yeah, and pathetic. You know what? You hold hold players accountable all you want, but if if a team comes out flat in a game where they absolutely have to win or they're going home, that's on the coaching staff. That's one hundred percent on the coaching staff. I think that's on the players too. I mean, Zuccarello came out and kind of didn't. Right. I don't. Right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to say the players are forgiven for it. Okay. But the coaching for the coaching staff to allow it to continue to happen and not within the first two minutes of the game make significant changes and put players' asses to the fire, that's on the coaching staff. Like, if the Rangers came out flat after two minutes, A.B. should have changed lines. A.B. should have started double shifting. A.B. should have done something. The fact that A.B. did nothing until the second period is um I mean, he really, to be honest, he really and, didn't do much till. I mean, the second period is when he started playing the Mika line a lot. He realized that Mika was the best player on the Rangers at this point in time and just was, just said, screw it, guys, let's go out there. And then... Does, does A.B. Re- does A.B. realize that about Mika? No, because, because his, afterwards, his comments were really weird, right? I, I don't know. I don't have the exact quote They make no him, sense. But he, he was pretty much like, he, you know, he, Mika, he, I, he basically said, he basically said Mika Zibinjad is at a crossroad in his career. And if he wants to take the next step as a special NHL player, now's the time to do it. Uh, what did, outside of Mika breaking his leg and having to miss six weeks, Mika was consistently one of the, best forwards the Rangers had the on a night-in, night-out basis. And I think and I think he was the best Ranger forward they had in the playoffs. No question. Yeah, I'm looking over the, the lineup now, and I think you might be right. I think the only argument you can make is maybe Zuccarello had more of an impact. But that's tough, too. Zook struggled the first part of that Canadian series, though. He, he did. But he I don't think there is... There was never a point in any playoff game where I felt Zabinajad was struggling. I feel like I had one Zibinijab game. Zabinajad was the most consistent and played strong from start to finish. Hmm. For, for A.V. to come out at the farewell tour 
and say Zibanejad is at a crossroads and he needs to make a decision about what kind of NHL player he's going to be is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That was really it's, weird. It's just, I, it just like, felt like he was throwing him under the bus the for players, no reason. Yeah, of all the players you could possibly call out at the end of the playoff series, Mika Zibanejad is the least deserving. It, I, I have I no even, doubt that Mika I'm did everything the, in his power. With the roster, like I don't think there's anyone least deserving. You're right, and he, he didn't exactly phrase anyone either. He wasn't like saying anyone played particularly well, um, but he did just throw Mika. He's thrown Mika and Shea under the bus. Two of his like guys that are going to be on makes the no team sense for a long time. Makes no sense. I just like like he's, he said Shea has to earn playing time, and Mika has to decide what kind of player he's going to be. Uh, if this is the player Mika Zibanejad has decided to be, thanks. I really appreciate it. Because I'm all about this guy being on my team for the next five years. Get excited. to. You don't need to give... It's just, it's one of those weird situations where I don't need more reasons to want the Rangers to fire AV, and yet AV every day finds a reason where I think the Rangers should immediately dismiss him. It's incredible. And you know what? I, I'm going to, you know, I think it's time to finally give you credit, Greg. You were on this train a long time ago, all by yourself, just sitting there saying the fire AV train when everything was nice and dandy. And now all of a sudden, everyone is with you. Everyone is yeah, with fucking, you. It's fucking crowded. I, I'm happy. I'm happy I got my window seat early. You really did. Uh, and I, I, I just got on and I'm down the aisle like, hey, guys, what's up? Can I hang? But I just. Those comments themselves are actually the things that irk me the most. Because my my idea of A.V. was that he was a good chemistry guy and he was sort of a player coach, right? And then he goes and takes his... He's obviously veteran heavy. That's where we where we agree on that, right? Oh, without question. He doesn't he doesn't hold any veteran ass to the fire. I'm going to be upset when we end up buying... Now, this is, this is ridiculous that I'm about to say this. I'm going to be upset when we buy out Girardi. I think mm, you shouldn't be. I know, I know. I, I'm just being. An, I, I I liked the way Girardi played. I know Stahl had the concussion, and that's not fair to him. Um, that he he, he had Stahl, Stahl should be gone too, though. But there's no there's way. No doubt. There's no way we buy out both. There's no way it can't I, happen. You know, I think. I really think we try and move Stahl to Vegas. I mean, somehow we. Well, no. I I think um, we'll save most of our. Here's how to fix the New York Ranger yeah, takes for next week. Cause I think, I think we can dedicate a whole podcast to that. And yes. you and I could lay out our plans more eloquently about how we think the Rangers should improve this team and options that they have. I honestly think there should only be three defensemen returning next year for the Rangers outside of obviously Adam Clendenning. There's his well, weekly let's, plug. Let's make four. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> McDonough, Shea, and Smith should be the only three guys returning from this defensive unit. Clendenning should return as a depth guy, but as long as AV is coach, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to keep Clendenning because he's not going to get a fair shake. I'm fine with Holden, so for being, as, Holden being a third-line pairing, but he's got to be a third-line pairing. That's where he deserves to be. Yeah, I'm, I really think – I really think uh, – I really – every – just the more I read about it, it does sound like Holden is Vegas-bound. Really? You think It really so? does. Yeah. I can't put my finger on it. Why? It's just a vibe I have. Uh, and my vibes have been wrong before, but I think Holden is Vegas bound. But you're right. I mean, Holden as a third 
third D pairing is not necessarily a worst case scenario. In fact, it'd be a little interesting to see how he'd play with someone like Berezgalov on a third line where Holden is not being asked to, you know, cover for a corpse. I'll be honest. Which is I what had the Rangers seg- were asking him to do. I had a segment today where I was going to do, let's try it. Let's have Ryan try and pronounce Berezgalov. But you've pronounced it for me. Thank you so much. I've never heard That's it. What I'm here to do. So I, uh, I was going to try to attempt saying his name. And I will not say what I was going to say it as. So that's good. We got rid of that. Skipped over that one. Yeah, it's not, it, you know, they also have this guy, Mindulith, that is going to be just great. Mindulith is incredible. <laughs> oh, poor guy. He's going to be forever known as yeah. Mindulith on this podcast, because that's my bad. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, no, but I, I really think you're right. Holden as the third D pairing. That's fine. With a capable, capable defensive partner. I'd be interested to see what that looks like, because... The poor guy had to play with Klein and Stahl all year. and I think we, we made I, a good you know, point that Stahl, Stahl started out okay, and he, he got the concussion and lost his you know, ability to play hockey as well. And Holden had to double up and make, time, though, make up like, for even, even thinking back on it, I don't remember any point in the season where pairing Stahl with Holden was ever good. No. Like There were times where when Stahl and Holden were broken up that both players played slightly better. Um, but any time those two were paired together, it it was like freaking oil and water it was not no bueno i would say it was not a good situation no, not good. so not good. let's wrap a bow on this whole season and and let's let's say you said on this podcast that it would be a disappointment if we lost to the senators is it a disappointment do you feel disappointed yeah i i i've been pretty straight and narrow about saying the ranger season should be viewed as a disappointment if they lose the playoffs to a team not named the penguins or the capitals and that's how I feel. I mean, it it's added disappointment that the Rangers clearly should have beaten the Senators and, you know, held leads late in two games that ended up costing the Rangers the entire series. Um, if the Rangers lost to the Penguins, I, I don't think I'd be able to call this season a disappointment because I truly think Pittsburgh is just a better team. But the fact that the Rangers didn't put themselves in a position to even play the Penguins deep into the playoffs or the Capitals deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I'd, I'd call that a significant disappointment. I'm I'm and, only disappointed uh, I, because like, I, I just feel this, like we could have won that series. I, I don't know why. I, well, I'll never find out. I well, never will. Look, I mean, also at, at some point in time, the Rangers have made the playoffs enough now where simply making the playoffs cannot be the, the goal every year. At some point, the Rangers need to take home a trophy. It's cup time. What's weird, though, is that just just to you know talk about the season from start to finish, I remember recording the first podcast of the season and having very tempered expectations of this team. I I I thought we were going to make the playoffs. I thought the the general media was underrating us. I thought some of the offseason moves we made were very strong, including Peary, which I was wrong about. And this team overachieved points wise, regular season wise, was in the strongest division and stayed above and competitive the entire time. And then we lost to the Senators. Um, so I was thought we were in a rebuilding process. It turns out our rebuilding process was one year, and we were uh, two games away from the Eastern Conference Finals, which I thoroughly believe we would have taken the Penguins to Game 7 um, or the Capitals, whichever. And that would have been a 50-50 also. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they, they beat the crap out of us. I'll, once again, I'll never find out. But this team, I, I'm not as disappointed because I just I've spent this week – if I, if I was recording this immediately after game six, it would have sounded like I was at a funeral and I was very sad. 
I was in shock. There's nothing worse than your team losing in the playoffs, especially in a heartbreaker like that when you should have won a series. But if I look back at myself, and I actually went back to one of our older episodes because I, I hate myself and I like to listen to what we were saying at the beginning of, of the season, I just think this season was a success in the fact that we moved forward, we got younger, we became a better team, and there are stepping pieces. If, if JT Miller, Kevin Hayes, and, and our, our players that matter for the next couple of years, you know, actually played any any of what they could play up to in their potential, we would be in a great spot right now. Just instead, none of them showed up. So I don't know. I don't trust this whole experience thing that AB talks about, but I think it maybe have, has some value that JT Miller and Kevin Hayes, who, by the way, are playing for Team USA and playing well right now, uh, are maybe can maybe take the step and take over this team going forward with Rick Nash aging along with Henry Lundqvist. So I think it was... I'd agree with that assessment. I'd agree with that assessment if I if I saw anything from AV to suggest that he's willing to give more trust to players that can play. But I think as long as AV is in charge of the Rangers, there's a, there's a ceiling. I just, I, I don't see there's AV has proven nothing that says if the Rangers were put into a similar position next year, he's not going to just do the exact same thing he did this year. Haven't seen it. Not going to see it because this is who AV is. So, I, well, I wish I could be as optimistic as you are, but yeah, you're, you're right. Having the young players is nice, and having a clear future is great, but look, as long as AV's in charge, I, I do not have faith in the coaching staff to put this team in a successful position to go on deep playoff runs. The weirdest part about AV is that he sort of listens, like, later on. For example, in game game six, Stahl only played 12 minutes. That was like how How did they take that long? I don't understand. Like, was it, he goes, okay, my way didn't work. Let's go with the popular opinion. I, I don't understand what the change was that made him do that. He does these things I, where I just, he makes the I, right move. I can't give. And then, but it was already, everyone already knew that move. You know, like we all talk about on the internet all the time. We're, we're, arm, we're armchair coaching at this point, but he makes those moves later. Like putting Bushnevich in the lineup in Montreal series that, that gave us the boost that had Laz win three in a row. And doing certain things. No, the that, thing. Go on. The thing with AV is he just he just reverts back. Like after game two, he seemingly learned that you need to give Stall and Holden less ice time, which is what he did in games three and four. And then it's almost like AV went back to Ottawa and left the plans he had for the team when they were playing at home in New York and just reverted back to what he did in games one and two. And Stall and Holden were getting more ice time. Shea got benched for five minutes again. It's he. It's like he learns but also has amnesia or Alzheimer's and just forgets the lessons he's learned through the way and reverts back. And I think, you know, base level AV is what happened to the Rangers in games two and five. Games three and four AV is when someone is telling him or he's figuring out that, well, that way wasn't working. Maybe this way will work. But then the problem is, you know, games three and four – the fact that games three and four happened and then AV does what he does in game five is inexcusable because it's, it's saying he's, he hasn't learned anything or at least whatever he's learned, he's willing to put aside for what he truly feels is the correct thing to do. It is, it is very strange how that happens. I just didn't understand that. That was very a uh, moment where I, I, I was finally on the, on that train with you. He was making moves that were very obvious too late. And that's just not how you have to make adjustments in a series. 
Now, if you coaching, told, co- if, coaching has the reactionary element to it, but at the same time, you need to be smart enough to know where your weaknesses are and how to limit the exposure of those weaknesses. And I, again, I just haven't been, I haven't been shown anything that says AB knows how to limit his weaknesses and put his team in the position to win meaningful hockey games. I have a, actually a, an interesting question that I, I want to ask you, and maybe maybe you can enlighten me because I'm not sure I know the answer that I now that I've asked myself. What does AV do well? Um, Silence from the crowd. I mean, from both sides. I it's got to be the the players seemingly like him. The fact that or the veteran seemingly like hasn't. Him. Well, you know, Brady Shea hasn't exactly murdered him yet, right? How could like we he? Have, I haven't. He's I'm yet to hear anything. I mean, he hasn't has hear anything that suggests Brady Shea is unhappy with AB. And, you know, this is New York. If a player is unhappy with a coach, a representative or a friend will go to the media and say said player is unhappy with a coach. It happens with the Knicks. It happens with the Yankees. It happens with the Mets. I mean, the Knicks, It happens with the Giants. It happens with the Jets. <laughs> no, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's New York. If a player is unhappy, someone's going to find out that that player is unhappy. And I honestly cannot recall a situation where a player has said he's unhappy with the way that he's being managed by the coaching staff, which is surprising. So you have to give AV. AV is a player's manager, but, uh, you know, Kerry Collins is a player's manager. And sometimes when the <laughs> inmates are running the asylum, things minutes. don't necessarily go correctly. Yeah, we'll get to the Mets in a second here. Um no, we won't. Okay. We will not. That will be the one lone Met reference this week. This is that's it for that. Okay. Well, well I want to. I do want to talk a few yeah, more things um, here before we before we head out. Uh, right now, we're going to do a recurring segment of when are we when are we recording this podcast? There's 14 minutes left in the Senators Penguins game, and no one has scored. How is that possible? I don't understand. Uh, oh, I'm good it, because I definitely took the Penguins left. So uh, great, great. Uh, I just if the Senators win that series, I'm going to be furious. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm going to freak out. During the Game 6, the Rangers announced that they're going to be hosting the Winter Classic. Uh, and I thought that was a very weird time to announce that. Do you have any reason why they would do that? Um, it was like they started announcing it. Like, it, it, it became, I, it, I was it, it watching also, the game. It also really wasn't news. That was my point. So we we broke well, that we broke that story, but we talked about that story like two months ago on on this podcast, and then all of a sudden it was like it's official. The Rangers are hosting uh, this year's you know Winter Classic series, and then it was like the the advertisements came on during the game. Twitter was blowing up about it, and I was like, you know, I have way more important things to talk about than the next. I'm go- I'm going to go to the Winter Classic. Sure, I'll see you there. But I, why are we why are we advertising this now? It doesn't make sense. I'm I'm I don't know. I I don't I don't think it's necessarily worth really getting worked up about the I was, NHL I was worked up. has been and always will be kind of terrible at um, promoting their own product. Like when they had, so Boy this was kind of, yeah, this was just kind of another example of the NHL being fairly tone deaf. They oh. realized that, you know, the winter classic next year is involving the Rangers. This could be the last time the Rangers are playing. They better announce it now, but it really, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I don't know how else to, really describe it beyond that it's just meaningless if was there a worse way to lose than the way the capitals lost no right it could in overtime maybe or is it worse to get shut mm. out at home in game seven 
I mean, I know that feeling. It was terrible. I don't know. It was I pretty mean, terrible. That was that was a real that was a real uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place moment for a Ranger fan. Would like what makes you happier? The Penguins blowing another three one series lead, or the Capitals failing to make the conference finals again? Like both are equal. I really didn't know which way to go. Um, I, I think I at I was, the end of the day, I, I guess I'm happier. I'm happier the Capitals lost. I think. I was Honestly. I was leaning the uh, I wish the Capitals would go to the, the Eastern Conference Finals. I just hate I think I hate the Penguins more than the Capitals. I don't know what it is. It's probably Sidney Crosby. I just think the storyline that Ovechkin hasn't played in a Conference Final is it's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, like Sid's. Like, I guess Sid's already won a cup. So what if he wins another one? I don't really care, right? At this point, well, I'm, it's just like Ovechkin is clearly one of the top three players of his generation, and he hasn't played in a Conference Final. Ever. And we stopped. Period. That's, Full stop. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, who are you rooting for now that now that we have the four teams left? Or, or if anyone? Uh, Predators. Predators. No, no question. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's not even close. It's Predators either, have been the most fun team this entire postseason. It's either that or the ice to melt. That's Those are my two things I would like to I would like to root for. I do want to talk about one non-Ranger thing, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Did you watch the Golden State Warrior game? No? No. Okay. No, I did. I actually oh, did. Okay. The, I said it was. I said it was nuts. It, it was. Oh, it was. It was incredible. It was. It's the Golden State Warriors are the only team in sports that can make a twenty-two point deficit feel like something they can overcome. It was so easy for them too, and you knew as soon as Kawhi got hurt. Where are you on that play? Dirty or no? I didn't think it was dirty. See, I I think it was. I'm I'm on the dirty train. I'm also just, I'm, Kawhi's also my favorite player in the NBA, and I'm also a Spurs fan. So that's you know. <laughs> I think it's I think it's giving Zaza too much credit to know that he should have put his foot there. I I don't think I I like Zaza. I think he's a smart passer. I don't know if he's the kind of player that knows if I put my body under Kawhi Leonard, who's playing on a hurt ankle already, it could injure him more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just. I honestly think, I mean, I, I, I don't think you need to be a doctor to know that Kawhi's ankle at that point in time was just weak. I mean, the, the first time he tweaked it was so innocuous. First of all, he enters the game with a hurt ankle. And then the he, first time he He actually looked it, okay. He looked, it, he looked pretty fine going into the game. I was surprised. Yeah, but, I mean, if your ankle's hurt, I just, like, the ligaments are weaker. Things, yeah. things trigger an injury a little easier. And I mean, he didn't even step on anyone when he was getting up off the Spurs bench. He just, his ankle just rolled. And that was it. I just, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I am a little naive and I'm giving Zaza too much benefit of the doubt. I just, I don't get the vibe from Zaza that he knew if he got his body under Kawhi that, like, I don't think Zaza knew what he was doing is my argument. I don't think so. Uh, I, I, think he, I think he I, did, I, though. I, I admit, the way he approached, it was dirty. Did you see the pop speech? The pop speech is a legend speech. Manslaughter. You still go to jail for manslaughter. Are you kidding me, Pop? That's a crazy line, dude. He went nuts. I, I, fucking, love, I fucking love Popovich. I honestly, give, give me a Popovich-Belichick presidential ticket, and I'm all in. 100%. Like, I don't even care what party they run as. I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Like, I just love Popovich. The thing I love about Popovich is before game one, you know, someone asks him a question about how to handle the Warriors. He said, pray. He goes on a diatribe about how terrible a president Donald Trump is. And then the reporter follows up with, so wait, how are you preparing for the Warriors? And Popovich just says, pray. And leave. <laughs> pray. Oh, uh, 
at the end of his he's the greatest at the end of his uh press conference today he goes any follow-ups <laughs> like, i just gave a one minute Popovich, murder speech Popovich is the greatest. are you kidding me that dude is too much man i he's, I, he's I, the greatest he, he understands that like look he can spit out freaking you know superlatives left and right that actually don't mean anything instead he says something meaningful about something not related to basketball because no, the obvious answers are already there for NBA writers. They don't need Popovich to be like, look, the Warriors, they're a special team. Uh, we have to, you know, stop ball movement, limit four, three point opportunities four to hands and faces, yada, yada. In the NBA yeah. on the same team? Yeah. Fucking people know. They don't need Popovich to say it. And Popovich knows it. I love Popovich. I, I think Popovich is my favorite coach in any sport. Same. Uh, in the, in, of all time. I, I can't think of a coach that's had more fun following. Like the same. You know what the best part of it is, though? That t- the Spurs were killing the Warriors. Murdering them. Game was over. Game was Any other team, the game's over. Over. And it reminded me so much of the first game of the season when the Spurs went into Golden State and just crushed the Warriors and everyone was like, huh? And the Warriors hype train really didn't didn't get started. Like, it, if the Warriors went up to, like, a, a 12-0 run... I know, I know the Warrior media was crazy all year, but the, the hype train never really got rolling because the Spurs went into Golden State and just crushed them. And it reminded me just of that game. And then all of a sudden, Kawhi gets hurt, and you could see Steph Curry be like, oh, we, this game's over now. We won. Like, I, I, knew, I knew they won as soon as Kawhi left the game. That was it. It was over. Kawhi, like, leaned over and called the guy. I was like, I, I need help walking. Please help me. And then I knew that the series is over. And now I can put an asterisk next to, uh, to, to that winning the series. So that's nice. They went through an injured Spurs team. Yeah, any I don't, I don't any know any other any other team that game is over at halftime. I know, I know that that the if the Warriors don't win the title and LeBron like I I don't want to get into this now, but if LeBron does end up beating this Warrior team, man, uh, that is that is a legendary task, like, second time in a row. And I know it's not just LeBron; he needs his teammates to help him, but it is mostly just him. I'll be honest; it's mostly, yeah, it's mostly LeBron. It's mostly LeBron. LeBron and Kyrie. That's about it. Yeah, Kevin Love is an afterthought at this point. All right. Listen, Greg, we'll get out of here at this point in time. Thanks for coming on and doing this pod with me, as always. Guys, we're not going to stop. Next week, we're going to introduce uh, some new things, new rewards, and new rewards. New fucking fun stuff for us to do, and uh, we'll be talking about that and revealing some some stuff on the podcast next week. I'm also going to be maybe setting my green screen tonight to some cool stuff. So we'll see. Uh, thanks for tuning in this whole season. If you're if you're out of here for the off season, come stop by for the big episodes, such as... Uh, you know, when we do the, the draft, we'll have, probably have James on to talk some prospects. And we'll probably do the expansion draft, which me and Greg will geek out over when it happens because it's the most fun thing in sports. Uh, we'll probably break that down in full. So see you guys then. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Shirts Break. Greg, any last thoughts? Nope. Okay. Uh, next week, Guardians of the Galaxy. Please go see it so you can listen to me and Greg have a epic fight about it because I'm I have a full a full theory for it. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How should you plan for when your home becomes too small? Or when the next one gets too big? At Sandy Spring Bank, we're here to help create personalized solutions for financing your home loan. Whether it's a new home or refinance, renovation or addition, fixer-upper or new build. Banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your mortgage. Visit sandyspringbank.com mortgage.
Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank, equal housing lender.